Good morning. Today is the last Sunday of the church year, the last Sunday after Pentecost, if you want to know one of its names. And another name is Christ the King Sunday, which makes us sound very English, doesn't it? Maybe that's appropriate. Maybe not, but there's something remarkable about that title, and I want to start unpacking it with you today by talking about a fascinating article that I came across in Atlantic Monthly Online this week by Hannah Rosen, and it's about something called the Prosperity Gospel. It's a movement that began in the last decade or so amongst some Pentecostal churches and now has grown to encompass several megachurch and evangelical Christian communities around the country. And it begins with the premise that God has great plans and intentions for us. So far, so good, right? But then it goes on to encourage its adherents to take enormous financial risks in their businesses and personal lives. The bigger, the better whether it's the larger home or the more expensive car or the more profitable business. Why? Because, it goes on, God rewards us for risk-taking. And the God of abundance has money, lots of money, waiting for the faithful as part of his gracious plan for their lives. So in this day and age, you might want to ask, how's that working for you? Interestingly enough, people are still attending these churches, but the insidious message, often unspoken, of course, is that if you lose everything, it may indicate a lack of divine favor or your lack of faith. Even more insidious, I find, is that this prosperity gospel is fundamentally about me. It's a crowning achievement for the noblest of our contemporary heresies in the West, as Catherine Jefford Shorey, our presiding bishop, put it earlier this year, somehow my salvation is so individualized that it has nothing, if anything, to do at all with your salvation, let alone ours together. And here's another rub for us to ponder this day. The movement of the prosperity gospel claims several million Christian adherents across the country. So I wonder if it's the latest manifestation of American civil religion. But an even more sobering thought appeared when the author of the article pondered amidst images of keys to an expensive late model car or a pile of cash placed on the altar that the prosperity gospel movement has its roots and strongest following in the parts of the country where another pattern in contemporary American life had its origins quite recently. The prosperity gospel appears most prevalent where the subprime mortgage crisis hit hardest, and where the real estate market crash was deepest. In fact, the article's title asks, Did Christianity Cause the Crash?
We close the church year today with this conversation between Jesus and Pilate in the Gospel according to John. It's familiar, yet it still rings a little bit strange to my ears. On the one hand, it seems the classic study of two people, however well-intentioned in their discourse, two people talking past each other. On the other hand, at the center of the conversation is the subject of kingship and kingdom. Are you a king? Pilate wants to know of Jesus. If so, does Jesus pose a threat to the Roman occupation or to the power of the emperor? We can surmise Pilate's perspective simply on the basis of a bit of history. He had been sent by the bright capital of Rome to this small, dusty, stubbornly monotheistic, and somewhat troubling and troubled little nation of Israel to keep it in line. And that meant simply keeping the tribute flowing in the right direction and keeping some semblance of order and peace for the sake of the economy and the stability of the wider empire. So Jesus being a king matters to Pilate only in as much as it might threaten the political, economic, and military order that Pilate is there in Jerusalem to keep. Pilate, like all governors past and present, has a job to do, thank you very much, and wants to know all he can so that he can carry it out successfully. And that means knowing where the threats are and eliminating them with as much dispatch and efficiency as possible. So all of this language from Christ Jesus about truth and a kingdom not of this world is as nonsensical and as pie in the sky to Pilate as theology and philosophy might be to any one of our pragmatic, power-focused politicians. It's no small disclosure that Pilate concludes the conversation with Jesus immediately following this passage with those three infamous words. What is truth? If Jesus poses no military or political threat, he's irrelevant. What is truth? Pilate just doesn't get it. And nor, quite frankly, do we much of the time. Jesus' truth often eludes us in our widely pragmatic and carefully compromised lives. We, like Pilate, live in a world of choices, none of which are perfect, and which are often governed by the rules of a kingdom that is not all that unlike Pilate's. We are possessed by questions about what we are empowered to do, what is the best economic choice for us or our households or our businesses or our communities, what leaves us most in control of outcomes. Like Pilate's world, our world, our kingdom, if you will, much of the time is measurable and quantifiable. It's built on carefully generated and maintained structures of power. It can be weighed and judged accordingly. We know where we are headed in life by how we are measurably ahead or behind of where we were yesterday. This is the kingdom we have been given. 
And it should be no mystery that this is the kingdom of the so-called prosperity gospel. And we shouldn't wonder at its popularity. Truth is, we're all adherents of the prosperity gospel in some way, in some form or another. We have our bank accounts and our households and our work and our businesses. We have our balance sheets, even our ecclesiastical institutions. We have our authority. We have our risk-taking measures, our guidelines. We are well-studied in calculation for what's best for ourselves and sometimes even what's best for others. And this is not all bad, of course. Sometimes, even often, we are in a position to do a great deal of good with these powers. Pilate could, I suppose, have been a good governor. History tells us otherwise, but that's the subject for another time. But in any case, surely there were good governors at times in places in the Roman Empire. But back to us, what we want is a Jesus who rewards us for our faith and in terms that we understand. We want a king who responds to our prayers for more money in the bank and greater security for ourselves and our loved ones, even prosperity for our community and the nation. And we're audacious enough to ask. Never hurts to ask, right? But today's gospel reminds us as we wind down this church year and prepare to open the door to the transformation of Advent that Christ is king, but not king of the prosperity gospel. You see, our king in Christ Jesus does not control outcomes through force or coercion or through cleverness or through calculation. Rather, we are wooed as lovers to a table for the food and drink of transformation. The stuff of eternal life that bucks those terribly self-possessed ossifications of our heart. The things that turn our hearts to stone and makes only for a spiritual death. Poverty or prosperity or both may await us at God's table. But there are no guarantees that either will look anything like poverty or prosperity as the world recognizes with its weights and its measures. What is guaranteed is that our hearts will be challenged and chastened to be softened, to be strengthened, so that ultimately they can open to our God, so that we may be remade however God wants us to be remade. Our King in Christ does not demand tribute of us or give us a list of rules by which we are measured. Best efforts of the church notwithstanding, of course. Instead, we are invited to act generously and live by a law of love that is not written in black and white and objectified for eternity, but is written on the tenderness of the human heart and undergirds the stories of our holiest writings. 
we may indeed follow the laws we have inherited from our ancestors and those things delivered by our politicians, but we are most beholden to the law that comes from a humble heart, acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God. Our King in Christ does not measure our success by money in the bank or the strength of our business acumen. And here's a tough one for all of us educated folk. Nor are we measured by our intelligence or our rhetorical skills or our knowledge. Rather, we are measured by the yardstick of grace. which, curiously to all of us, my beloved sisters and brothers in Christ, measures not where we are at the present time, but rather it measures God's hopes and dreams and love for us and how that forges us and remakes us over a lifetime and beyond. And that divine dream, that divine hope, is so far beyond our intellectual grasp that we can scarcely imagine what it looks like. We are only invited to live into it one day, one mysterious moment at a time. Christ's kingdom is not of this world, nor is Christ's kingdom made up of that pie-in-the-sky afterlife we sometimes call heaven in contemporary popular Christianity. Christ's kingdom begins here, in our hearts, and in the transformed relationships and communities around us. Christ's kingdom is found in the loving words and the healing touches that nurture community. Christ's kingdom is in the memory that jumps the yardarm of death and binds us as a family beyond time. Christ's kingdom is in the tender thoughts and brave actions for the least among us. And Christ's kingdom is found when we pick up the gospel of self-offering so that others might have life and have it abundantly. Because in Christ's kingdom, we belong to one another. And we together belong along with our salvation, most of all to Christ our King. Christ our King who loved us and loves us from before time. Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 
or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley, dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.